Yesterday afternoon, we were looking at the message. We were reminding ourselves of testimonies and stories and the way that God has been working in the world through members of Charlotte Chapel, and it was very encouraging those of us who were here yesterday afternoon towards the evening. And then this morning, the title was The Mandate, The Calling that God has uh, placed in our, in our lives, the clear calling from Scripture, and we were looking at how the Lord Jesus <clears throat> spoke to his friends and said, you do something, you feed them, you make a difference in their lives. And so this evening, we move on to this question of me, you, is, is mission really uh, for us, or is it for special sort of people, for Chileans who come to the UK and preach the gospel? It's wonderful having uh, Ivan as part of our team in OM and uh, having a bit of Chilean, Latino um, uh, flexibility and, and uh, life is just wonderful, leading worship often for us. Is mission really for us? Let me start with a question before we get into our text. The question is, what on earth am I doing here? I wonder if, I wonder if anyone has, is sitting in the church this evening asking that question. I wonder if it's a question that some of us, some of us have found ourselves asking at different times in life. There's a good number of young people here in the congregation this evening. I wonder if you're sometimes asking yourself this, this bigger question of, what am I doing here? Lord, do you have a purpose and a plan for my life? I wonder if that's a question that Simon Peter might have asked 2,000 years ago. We read earlier this text uh, in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, um, have, it, have it open as we just look and remind ourselves of this very well-known passage uh, where the Lord Jesus calls the first disciples. And we don't know too much about Simon. Um, he's a fisherman. He's grown up on the banks of the lake of Gennesaret. He's probably the son of a fisherman. He's learned the profession that's been passed down through the family. He's a Jewish man who would have grown up uh, hearing the stories from what we now call the Old Testament. He'd have heard about the great heroes of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the great prophets, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He'd have grown up hearing and fearing God. Uh, I wonder what his relationship was with God. Well, he'd have feared him. He'd have known that it was important, as all the Jewish people knew, to fear God, to seek to live and to please God. But what we see in this text, something happens in Simon Peter's life which completely changes everything. If we jump to the final verse, chapter 5, verse 11, we read that Peter and his friend pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. 
And what I'd like us to explore a little bit this evening is what is it that happened? What is it that caused Peter, Simon Peter, to leave his profession, to leave the comforts of the, the boats and the nets and the fish and the, and, the, and the lake that he had grown up beside? What is it that caused him to leave everything and to follow Jesus? You know, it's interesting in Luke 5, we're talking about Simon Peter. This isn't the first time that he meets Jesus. In John's gospel, in John chapter 1, John tells us that there was Andrew, the son of John, and Andrew is a disciple of John the Baptist. And Andrew, when John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, this is the Messiah, the, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, it's Andrew who runs and gets his big brother, Simon, and he brings him and introduces him to Jesus. And you remember in John chapter 1 what Jesus says when he sees Simon, son of John? He says, you are Simon, son of John, but I'm going to call you Kephas, which when translated means Peter. Isn't that strange? Imagine if you were introduced to someone, and I say, what's your name? And you tell me your name, and I say, well, I'm going to call you Peter. <laughs> I'm going to change your name. I mean, this is a rather strange thing that had happened, and it had happened some weeks or some months uh, before this fishing trip that Jesus and Peter, we'll start calling him Peter now, that Jesus and Peter went on. Uh, you see, Peter had been around Jesus and had heard him preaching. He had been to the wedding at Cana and had seen Jesus turn water into wine. He knew that there was something pretty special about Jesus. No one spoke like Jesus. No one performed the miracles that Jesus performed. But it seems that for a period of time, Peter is sometimes with Jesus and is sometimes with the fish and the boats and the nets caring for his family. Until this morning. And in this morning, in chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel, we see how Jesus comes along and Peter and his friends have been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. How, how do you think they felt? They're probably pretty tired. What's the worst thing that you can do when you're tired? Stand and listen to a sermon. That's probably the worst thing, isn't it? Well, Jesus was there. Jesus said, I want to preach. The crowds came because everyone was attracted to hear Jesus speak about the kingdom of God. Maybe he'll do a miracle. Maybe, maybe we'll see something extraordinary. So the crowds are pressing in, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, can I get into your boat? And Jesus gets into Peter's boat, and it's just pushed out a little way from shore. And Jesus sits and preaches and teaches the people. And then, when he finishes, Jesus says to Peter, hey, let's go fishing. And it's at this moment that I think Peter has a very interesting um, decision to make. Because here is a, a carpenter sitting in his boat. He's a fisherman, the son of a fisherman, the son of a son of a fisherman. And there's a carpenter sitting in his boat saying, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Um, I'll, I'll tell you where to go, where to fish. And can you imagine how humbling that must have been for Peter? 
In fact, we read the words, he, he says, well, it's a waste of time. I've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'm willing to go. He did know there was something really special about Jesus. Even though you're a carpenter, you can tell me how to build a table. <laughs> Don't tell me about fish. But Jesus, because you say so, I'm willing to humble myself. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to go. And of course, they head out on the lake. It's the same lake. They're in the same boats. They're using the same nets. It's the same friends who are there helping them fish. And yet this time, there's the most miraculous catch of fish. And it's at that moment that Peter, in verse 8, falls to his knees and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And as I read that, I ask the question, why would he say that? I, surely that's a mistake. If he's recognized who Jesus is, what should he be doing? He should be saying, Jesus, come. Come close to me. I need you. If he's recognized who Jesus is, he's seen Jesus perform this extraordinary miracle. Surely Peter should be saying, well, this is great. Let's... Uh, you know, come again tomorrow and, and tell me where to go and, 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 and how to catch the fish, and we'll go into business together, and we'll make some money, and we'll support the poor and support your preaching uh, efforts, and this is going to be really good. It's a good business opportunity. Surely that's what Peter should have said. Jesus, this is wonderful. We've caught fish. I've got something to take back to my family. And yet, he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And reflecting upon this, and what I'm going to try and do in the brief time together this evening is share a little bit of my testimony as I try and understand what is happening in Peter's life when he sees Jesus and he, he tells him to go away. Permit me to just share a, a little bit from my life how I grew up in a good Christian home, a good Baptist church that we went to on the south coast of England. Um, ever since I can remember, in the Sunday school, always believing the stories of Jesus, the stories that we were taught. I never doubted that God existed because, well, we go to church and we're good Christians and, of course, God exists. If someone had asked me growing up, are you a Christian? Well, yes, of course I'm a Christian. I go, I go to church every Sunday. And yet, I was actually embarrassed to tell my friends that I went to church. I'd always try and avoid telling them what I did on a Sunday morning. They knew that we were from a religious family. I was ashamed, embarrassed somehow to tell people, that I believed in God, that I was a follower of Jesus. And when I was about 14 years old, my brother, who was a year older, going to the same school, he, he was involved in the Christian Union. And we had a speaker come to the Christian Union who shared and, and, and preached the gospel. I, I didn't go. I was afraid that my friends would see me going. And my brother Adam came that evening, and he came into my room, and he had a, a gospel tract. And he said, Matthew, I've become a Christian. 
said, what do you mean you've become a Christian? We're Christians. We're in a Christian. We go to a good church. It's, what do you mean you've become a Christian? He said, I've repented for my sins, and I've accepted Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. And he said, Matthew, you need to do the same thing. And I can remember saying to him, Adam, I don't need to repent because I'm not a sinner. I'm a good boy, <laughs> my parents would say most of the time. I hadn't done bad things. My friends were starting to use language and do things which I knew was wrong. I could always find someone who I was better than, more religious than. And I thought, I don't, and I said, I don't need to repent. It was a few years later that I, that I left home and went to university. And for the first time, I didn't have to go to church because my parents weren't there to take us along. And something happened at the beginning of my second year which completely transformed my life. And what it was, was I met a girl and I fell in love. And the problem was that I wanted this girl to be my girlfriend, but she was what I would describe as a super spiritual Christian. She was one of those really radical Christians who would, who would talk about her relationship with God and what she was reading in the Bible. And I was attracted to her, but I thought maybe she's a bit extreme. But she showed me a Bible reading plan that she was going through, something like, like this. And every day she was reading through three or four chapters in the Bible, and she said, I'm, I'm going to finish the Bible uh, from Genesis to Revelation in a year. And I thought to myself, if I can get a hold of that Bible reading plan, and I can read at twice the speed that she's reading, then I'll finish the Bible before her, and she'll be so impressed that she'll want to be my girlfriend. I was a mathematician, and this was how I worked things out. And so that's what I did. In September of 1991, I got a copy of that Bible reading plan, and I started to read the Bible every day. Until then, you know, when I went off to university, my parents gave me a big black Bible, about four times the size of this. And I, I, I'd, I'd put it on my shelf and put other books around it so that my friends wouldn't actually see that I had a Bible. Uh, and I'd occasionally dip into the Bible, you know, Sometimes in an evening you just open it and you find a psalm and you read and, uh, you know, I, I thought that was good for me. I thought it was important sometimes. But I'd never read the Bible regularly, certainly not from cover to cover. So I started every day. And in that year, my life completely was transformed. Because as I was reading the Bible, well, I was learning about God, but I was also learning about myself. It was as if God was holding up a mirror in front of my life. For the first time, I was starting to see that maybe I wasn't such a good person. I was starting to see that perhaps there were things in my life that were not honoring to God. I was starting to see that I was a sinner and I needed to repent and ask for forgiveness in order to enter into a new relationship with God through his son Jesus. Now, Peter allowed Jesus to get close to him, and as he allowed the Lord to be close to him, he found himself on his knees acknowledging his sin. 
we see in other parts of Scripture, Isaiah, who glimpses the holiness of God, and he also says, woe is me. I can't enter the presence of God. I'm a sinful man. For me, it wasn't quite so radical, but there was an extraordinary change during that year as I approached and allowed Jesus to come close to me, showing me, Matthew, I love you so much. I want to transform you. I want to change you. I want to make you into the person that I want you to be. Allowing God to be close to us, ensuring that we spend time in his word every day, allowing him to speak, allowing him into our boat. I used another analogy this morning about a boat, so we mustn't get confused. But allowing him to be close. And as we do, he will sometimes show us that there are things in our lives that we need to ask forgiveness. And he wants to transform us into the people he wants us to be. And that's what happened to Peter. You see, Peter's on his knees, and the fish are hopping about in the boat, and he's saying, woe is me, I, I'm a sinful man. Find someone better, Jesus. <laughs> Go to Jerusalem. Find someone who's got all the theological studies. Uh, they, they could follow you. They can be your disciple. Lord, I've got problems in my life. If you only knew the things that go through my mind, Lord, you can find someone better than me. And Jesus looks at Peter in the boat. And I imagine Jesus putting his hand on Peter's shoulder. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Peter, I know about your sin. I, I know about the struggles that you have. I know about all of your difficulties. And here's the thing, I still love you. And I still have a plan for you. And in, in Matthew's version of these events, uh, Matthew records the words, and Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. So he says to Peter, don't be afraid. And then he says, I will make you. I will make you into something wonderful. Peter, do you trust me? Do you want to follow me? I have a plan for you, Peter. I see potential in you. You're not just a simple fisherman. Because in God's eyes, you're so special. I love you, and I have a plan for you. But that was 2,000 years ago. Does God really call people like you and me to serve him on the mission field today? Is this just stories from thousands of years ago? If you'll permit me to continue my my testimony, because what was I doing? I was reading my Bible. I was getting closer to the Lord. I, I started being far more active in the church and in the Christian union. This girl that I was trying to impress, she was pretty impressed. But do you know what? She still didn't want to be my girlfriend. You see, she had done a gap year. She'd been involved with a mission agency doing missionary work in Ireland. And all she talked about was her relationship with God and her desire to go and be a missionary once she graduated. She said, as soon as I finish, I'm going to serve the Lord on the mission field. 
And I can remember thinking, well, she's probably not the one for me then. Because I have other plans for my life. I want to finish college and I want to get a good job and I want to get married and have a nice house and be comfortable and have some kids and a, a dog and a cat and I want to, you know, earn enough money to, to you know, to live a little bit. I'll go to church. I'll maybe volunteer and be involved in the youth group and, and I'll, I'll live a normal life. And this girl seemed just, well, I was attracted to her, but she just seemed a little bit too extreme. I had an idea of missionaries and trekking through the jungle with a pith helmet on and, you know, this outdated idea of being eaten by cannibals and all that. You know, that was my idea of what a missionary was. (laughs) That's not for me. This girl was a bit strange. The problem was I really was attracted to her. I was growing in my relationship with God and I thought there's one thing that I can do to really win her, to really show that I'm a serious Christian I will go on a mission trip. And so this was, this was about 10 months after we met, and it was the summer of 1992. Someone came to our college and had talked about mission trip opportunities, short-term mission trip. I thought, well, that's something I'll do. I'll go for two weeks, and then I'll come back, and this girl will be so impressed. She'll want to be my, uh, my girlfriend. We'll get married. We'll live happily ever after, and, and we'll have done our missionary thing. Well... What happened next? Should I tell you what happened next? Well, yes, I, I headed off to, I'd chosen a country called Estonia. I thought Estonia is a, uh, a country I've never heard of. The, break, the Soviet Union had just broken apart, and I'll go to Estonia. It sounds like Narnia. It sounds really adventure, you know, a place to have an adventure. And so I headed off to Estonia, um, part of a mission team with a group called OM. I'd never heard of OM, but I got on a bus and I went to Germany, a big conference, and then we were sent out to all these different countries in Europe. Arrived in Estonia, and I'd volunteered to be the bus, the van driver. And I was driving the team around, and they were doing gospel presentations. And then it got to one day when the team leader said, you know, we need a volunteer to, after the drama, to, to preach the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus. And he looked around, and everyone had had other roles, and he said, Matthew, I think it would be good for you to take a turn. And I can remember, no, no, I I can't. I'll I'll drive. I'll I'll, I'll pray. I'll stay in the van, and I'll pray for the rest of you. you." But he said, no, no, and and he said, and actually, we're starting in 20 minutes, so you better get get going. (laughs) I have never been so nervous in my life. I can remember picking up a pen, and I could hardly hold it, and I got a piece of paper, and I remembered a verse in John 3.16, something about God loving the world. And I wrote that down, and I, and I was racking my brains. What, what, else, what else could I say? I think, God loves you, God loves me, and, and well, it was, it was probably a terrible little message that lasted about five minutes. It was translated into Estonian. I'm sure the Estonian lady preached a much better message than I did. Um, but honestly... In those two weeks as we traveled around Estonia, as this little team of young people, it was the most extraordinary thing because probably two main things I learned. One, people are lost without Jesus. We met people who had not heard the good news. And I was challenged with the truth. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. Is that true? 
Is Jesus really the only way? But these people have never heard. What hope is there for them? And so I was challenged with this truth that people are lost without a savior if they don't know Jesus. But also, this extraordinary, shocking truth, God can use ordinary people to bring the good news. I had always been so nervous, I couldn't stand up and speak in front of people, but I found that in a, in a small way, God could use me and the team, and we were giving out tracts, and we were telling people that God loved them, and we were working with a local church, and people were making decisions to follow Christ. And I started to change my view of what it meant to be a missionary. I started to see that, yes, I could be a missionary. I could tell other people about him. I just needed to be willing to take that step of faith. And look at Peter, a simple fisherman. Oh, I can't do it. Lord, go, go away from me. I'm not worthy. And Jesus says, I see potential in you. I can use you, Peter. Don't be afraid. And we see throughout Scripture, don't we, time and again examples. We don't have time, but Gideon. God calls Gideon to, he wants to set the, the Israelites free from the Midianites. And he says, hey, Gideon, I want you to, to fight for me. And Gideon says, I'm a simple farmer. What can I do? I can't, I can't go and fight for you. And God says, well, that's perfect. You're not going to rely on your own strength. You're going to rely on me. And Moses, the story of Moses at the time of the Exodus, you know, Moses thinks that he's going to set the people free, and he fights, and he kills someone, and he's going to take it into his own hands, and God sends him into the desert. He spends 40 years, from the age of 40 to the age of 80, he's in the desert looking after sheep. And it's then that he sees this burning bush. And God speaks to him, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And then God says, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm going to lead them out of captivity. I'm going to lead them into the promised land. I'm going to set my people free. And Moses, as an 80-year-old man, is probably thinking, this is great. And then God says the words, and Moses, you are going to serve me and lead the people. And Moses said, but Lord, I, I, I can't. I can't speak, I can't lead, I'm an old man, all I know is looking after these sheep. And that's when God says, perfect, now I can use you, Moses. <laughs> you thought you could do it on your own 40 years ago. It's taken 40 years learning humility in the desert. Now I can use you, Moses, now I can use you, Gideon, now I can use you, Peter. You've recognized your sin, you've repented. You've placed yourself, your life, into my hands. Now I can use you to make a difference. So Peter had his name changed by Jesus, had his life changed by Jesus. He acknowledged his imperfections, his sin. He didn't try and cover up and pretend to be something that he wasn't. He didn't try and pretend to be a Christian or a God-fearing man. He acknowledged his sin, and Jesus opened his eyes to recognize who he was and also who the Lord was. And Peter's life would never be the same again. 
It was, it's this example that at the end, he pulls up the boats, he leaves everything, and he follows Jesus. He leads, leaves his comfort, his security, his nets, his profession. He leaves everything because he knows that there's nothing more important than following Jesus. Lord, wherever you're going, I'm going. Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me, and we'll go first to Bethlehem, and we'll preach for a little, and then we'll go to Jerusalem, and we'll do this and this. Jesus just said, follow me. Follow me. Trust me. Don't be afraid. I will make you. I'll jump back to my story as I move towards the end. Where was I? (laughs) I'd just gone on a mission trip. You know, on that trip, we had this conference in Germany, and there in, in Germany, we, it was a time of preparation. Different people were preaching and speaking about mission. And I thought, oh, that's all interesting. It was challenging. And then there was one worship time, and a song came up. And I will put the song on the screen. And it talks about, have you got the song coming up, Fiona? In my generation, do, did you ever sing this? And it's probably a song from the 80s and 90s. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. I delight, I delight to do your will. You know, I was singing along with all these other young people at this conference, and then these, the words went up on the screen. And I'm not naturally a very emotional person. But I was looking at these words, and I, I realized I can't sing. And I realized I was crying. Because it was as if God's spirit was saying, Matthew, yes, (laughs) this is what I want to do with my life. I want to live my life for something that will have eternal consequences. Lord, can you use me to make a difference in this world? And it was just after that, after I graduated, I should tell you about the girl, because if I don't tell you, it it was a girl called Helen, um, and we eventually got married. She had another year of college to do. Uh, I was one year ahead of her, and I went and joined OM. I only joined for one year, and I think 23 years later, somehow I've not been able to escape. But Helen came and joined me, and we served in Eastern Europe um, for the next 22 years. We got married and, and served, and and grew up and raised our family in Moldova, and I shared a little bit about Moldova um, earlier, earlier today in, in the morning service. But the question today, is mission for every believer? My answer, absolutely yes. You know, it's not always easy. I think back to the first, my first visit to the beautiful country of Romania, I, I saw a Romanian lady here. <laughs> um, and have we got any Hungarians in the congregation? There's a Hungarian as well. Well, let me tell you, as I come to a close, you know, it's not, it's not always easy serving on the mission field. And on my first trip, we were based in Austria, and I was supposed to be distributing Christian literature in Romania. We had a van full of Bibles. It was 1994. And we drove through Hungary, and because it was the first trip and I had a maths degree, I was given the responsibility for the money. I had to keep track of the money and, and changing all the different currencies. And so I, we drove through Hungary and I went into a shop and I bought some bread and some cheese and some orange juice. 
We were a team of three people. I thought this will be good for us for the next few weeks. We'll travel around Romania and we've got bread, cheese and orange juice. What more do you want? Well, we, we, it was a Sunday evening. We traveled through Hungary. We crossed the border into Romania and we were going up into the mountains two or three hours into Romania. And we broke the bread, this Hungarian bread, which may be a delicacy in Hungary, but it was full of pepper. And I could not eat this bread. And forgive me if this is special bread, but it was this peppery bread. And I started to complain. You know, sometimes missionaries get upset. And I was, this was my first missionary experience and everything was supposed to be going well. And I, what, what is this bread? How are we supposed to eat this? I can't just eat cheese and orange juice. And we were, we were looking for a place to park up in the mountains. We were gonna have to move the Bibles around. We were sleeping on top of the Bibles in our sleeping bags. That night, it was so cold, the orange juice in the van froze solid. I woke up and my head was frozen to the side of the, win- the window. It was that cold. And so it was cold and I hadn't eaten and I had this Hungarian bread which I didn't like at all and I was complaining. And my teammates were getting fed up with me. And What are you complaining about? Just eat. I can't eat it. I can't just have cheese and orange juice. Sometimes it's the little things, isn't it, that really start to cause us problems. Well, there I am complaining about bread and there was nowhere to buy bread when we got into Romania late at night. And we were driving around a corner and a man jumped out into the middle of the road and he motioned that he wanted a pump. And I thought, well, let's stop and we've got a pump in our van. And so we got out of the van and I helped him pump up his tire. And as I walked away, he ran after me and he grabbed me and started to pull me back towards his van. And I thought, this is dangerous. What's happening? This is, you know, this is the end of my life. And he pulled me back to his van and he opened this little, the doors of this little van and inside there were shelves, wooden shelves full of loaves of bread. And he took one of these big, beautiful, round loaves that weigh about five kilograms and it was still warm. And he gave it to me as a thank you and I gave him a gospel of John and tried to say in broken Romanian, God bless you. And I left, and I walked back to the van holding this bread. And these colleagues, these friends in the, in the team, where did you get that bread from? You've been complaining about bread for the last two hours, and where did you get it from? And I said, I, I think God gave it to us. And as we broke open the bread, it was the most delicious bread and the cheese and the orange juice that later froze. And it was the most wonderful time and sleeping on top of those Bibles that night as I was going to bed, it was as if the Lord was saying to me, you see, Matthew, I can provide for all of your needs. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and I'll take care of the rest. And that's been a verse from Matthew 6.33 that has often come back to me and encouraged me and challenged me. What does it mean to seek first God and his kingdom above everything else? It is a challenge, but, and it's not always easy serving God on the mission field. But if that's what God places on our hearts, it might be a mission field serving locally and reaching out to our friends. And that can be even more difficult sometimes than going to the furthest country in the world. 
But I believe that the calling is for all of us. We, we ask the question, what on earth am I doing here? And I believe that God has a plan for each one of us. I see there's quite a lot of young people uh, in the congregation. It was mentioned, Sito mentioned, that towards the end of our time in Moldova, we had an opportunity of writing a book uh, called Missionary Me. <laughs> Can God really use me? Can God use us to make a difference in the world? And I'd, I'd like to read the back of the book because if you're a if there may not be too many teenagers here, but there may be people who have teenagers. Here's, here, and this, this book could be for them. Christians are boring, and going to church is dull. God, if he exists, is irrelevant to me and the plans I have for my life. He surely does not call people to serve him on the mission field today. Or so I thought. And that's my story. The story of God's grace, the story of how God can call ordinary people to share the good news of Jesus with others. As I draw to a close, I'd like us to look at a very brief video clip. It might be something unusual. It's from a film called The Son of God. And um, I warn you, it's a little bit I mean, it's a little bit Hollywoodish in the sense that it doesn't absolutely follow the scriptures perfectly, but I felt that this would be helpful perhaps as we, as we round off the, the service and the missions weekend together. So if we can start the video clip and then I'll say a closing comment. Do you need help? I'm not looking for any help. And besides, there's nothing to help with. Hey! You can't just climb into my boat. Yeah, you're right. Give me a helping hand. What do you think you're doing? We're going fishing. There are no fish out there this time of day. In fact, there are no fish out here any time of day. Peter. Just give me an hour, and I will give you a whole new life. Who says I want one? I'm telling you, there's no fish out there.
did this happen? What did you do? I'm giving you the chance to change your life. Peter, come with me. Give up catching fish and I will make you a fisher of men. What are we gonna do? Change the world. doing here? That's the question we began with. It's the challenge that I leave you with. Is it true that God calls ordinary people, all of us, to be involved in reaching the world for Christ? I'll finish with a, a story I heard as I was preparing to come to Scotland, I thought I should read a biography by, about David Livingstone. And I read that this young boy, when he was 12, 13 years old, in a town that you all know, Blantyre, south of Glasgow, I understand, the collection plate went around the church. And when it came to young David, he realized he didn't have any coins in his pocket, didn't have anything to put in the collection plate. And apparently he took the plate and put it on the floor and he got into it as a sign saying, Lord, I don't have much. I don't have anything in my pockets, but I give myself to you. I want to be used by you to make a difference in this world. Let's pray.